0: Welcome to the Parlay Podcast, a thought-provoking and entertaining podcast that breaks down the pathology of speech, language, and other processes that affect the way we communicate on a daily basis. Professor of speech and language pathology, Chantal Mayer-Crittenden, hosts a bevy of guests who help her explore and explain the diverse landscape of speech, language, and their relationship with the brain. This is episode two of the Parley Podcast. I'm your host, Chantal Mayer-Crintendon. One, two, Crittenden. seven, eight, nine, ten. How many times have we counted up to ten? Probably a million times in our lives. Is that language or is that math? I mean, we're using words to count. So are we not using language? We can count in our head. We can count with our fingers. Is that using language? When is it language? When is it math? Alex Cross, a PhD candidate student from the University of Western Ontario, is joining us today to shed some light on this very interesting topic. And like I mentioned in the previous podcast, she will actually be talking to us about the interrelationship between math and language. Uh, so, she I kind of stumbled upon an article that she wrote entitled Mathematical Abilities in Children with Developmental Language Disorder and immediately thought, wow, I need to find out more. So, I reached out to Alex and I am thrilled that she uh, accepted to talk a little bit more about her research in this field. So, hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, now, Alex is um, tuning in via video conferencing today. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself
1: to begin. Yeah. So, um, I'm originally from Ottawa, um, and I come from a background with an undergrad and a master's in psychology, um, before I transitioned into speech language pathology. Um, so in the program that I'm in, we complete the clinical requirements, um, to be a speech language pathologist, but also a research-based PhD. Um, and I'm in my fourth year of five years of that program.
0: That's excellent! Congratulations, that's Thanks. a chief. <laughs>
1: um, now, maybe tell us a little bit about your research. Um, so, my research for my dissertation is mostly focused on reading and language disorders in school-age children. Um, so, in my dissertation, I'm using MRI to better understand how. Um, connectivity in the brain relates to reading ability and how connectivity in the brain might change as a child's reading ability improves. Um, But kind of more broadly, outside of the pretty narrow scope of my PhD dissertation, I'm interested in how reading and language might overlap and how that would also affect um, success in other academic subjects in kids.
0: Okay, super interesting. Now, maybe before we get deeper into your research and that article that I was talking about, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about developmental language disorder, just kind of the
1: general overview of what it entails? Mm-hmm. So, developmental language disorder, um, also called DLD, um, is when a child has difficulty understanding or using language. So, that could look like difficulty talking or writing or understanding oral or written language when somebody is trying to communicate with that child. Um, This wouldn't include kids who have language difficulties that are related to things like a hearing impairment or brain damage or some other biomedical cause. Um, We don't know a lot about the cause of DLD, um, but it's estimated to affect around two kids in every classroom.
0: Right, which is quite significant when you think about it. If a teacher... Mm -hmm. Has in front of, of him or her two students who have DLD, you know, and there's other kids that also have potentially difficulty. You were specifically interested in um, the relationship between language abilities and mathematical abilities. Mm-hmm. So can you maybe walk us through what you, the steps that you had to take to to come to that? Research question, and then how you went about finding the information that you did find.
1: Yeah, so I had often noticed when I was interacting with parents or teachers or speech language pathologists um, in the placement that I the placements that I was in, and also in research that I was doing, um, that DLD was often only discussed in the context of oral and written language in the classroom. So most people seem to be aware that a DLD. Um, or a child with DLD would struggle in classes like English language arts, um, but they were less aware about the impact that that might have on other academic subjects, things like science or social sciences or math. Um, So for one of my speech language pathology classes, I made a YouTube video explaining how DLD um, might affect learning in other academic subjects. um, And I gave a lot of examples specific to science class. Um, and I got a really, really positive response to that video. There were a lot of SLPs and teachers who were saying like, wow, this describes some kids in my class, or I'm going to share this with lots of people that I work with. And I've even had some parents contact me about it. Um, so that sort of piqued my interest even more. And I started digging uh, a bit deeper into what was out there in the scientific literature Um, and where there might be gaps. And so I noticed there were a handful of papers that were discussing math abilities and impairments in kids with DLD, but the types of math tasks that were used in those papers varied quite a lot. And so the findings tended to be um, a bit mixed and it was sort of hard to get an idea of like what the general consensus was across all of these papers.
0: Maybe um, I'll just give a little... Snapshot of what your YouTube video was about, so the Mm, listeners have
1: an idea. So we'll play that for our listeners. Children typically learn to talk quite quickly and naturally, however, some children struggle to learn language, even though they show normal development in other areas. We call this a developmental language disorder. Developmental language disorders are characterized by difficulty learning language, understanding language, and using language. In other words, children with developmental language disorders typically use simple words and sentences, miss grammatical markers, and have trouble understanding long and complex sentences. In the classroom, language development is a key part of children's intellectual, social, and emotional growth. Much of classroom teaching and learning is conducted using oral or written language. Teachers talk about science concepts, work through math problems verbally, and give instructions, assessments, and feedback in verbal or written format. For students, language forms the basis for understanding, organizing, and thinking about new academic material. Let's imagine a grade 4 classroom. One student in the class, Justin, seems to be struggling in science class he doesn't follow directions for activities, and he seems to have difficulty answering questions on tests. He doesn't usually contribute to class discussions, and sometimes it seems like he's just not paying attention. At first glance, this may sound like a child who's having difficulty in science, but what if we dig deeper and think about his underlying language skills? For example, Justin uses simple vocabulary. In science class, this might mean that he has trouble using the vocabulary he needs to talk about and learn about science concepts. We call this vocabulary academic language. Academic language is a particular challenge in science for a number of reasons. Many words that students are familiar with in their everyday life, such as the word energy, take on a more specific meaning when they're used in a scientific context.
0: Well done with that little video. I show it to my students all the time, actually, and I uh, also recommend it for, to parents of children who may have uh, developmental language disorder. It's, it's just very well explained, and it makes it real, and it puts language difficulties into the context of the classroom for for sciences, like you said. So thank you very much. It's extremely useful, and I recommend the listeners to take a few minutes and listen to it. Um, If you want to know more about DLD in the classroom. So basically what you did was a scoping review, which basically um, allows a researcher to answer a pretty broad question about a certain topic. Um, Now, can you maybe explain to our listeners what that means?
1: Yeah, so basically I was doing sort of a comprehensive search of the literature. So I used a couple of different um, databases to look for what research already existed on this broad topic. So I was specifically looking at math abilities in kids with DLD. Um, And so I found uh, about 20 studies total that documented math abilities in DLD. And in particular, I was looking for studies that compared kids with DLD to a group of kids who didn't have DLD, just so I could really understand like, where those kids were struggling and where they were performing more similarly to other kids their age. Mm -hmm.
0: And I mean, for anybody out there who is not too familiar with these database um, researches that we do and 20 is really not a lot. Mm -mm. Um, And so there's not a whole lot out there about Mm -mm. topic. So uh, and I can say firsthand that I do have a, a child with a developmental language disorder who struggles on a daily basis with math. And it's not evident to the teachers that work with her, even though they are fabulous teachers, um, even her speech language pathologist, why she's struggling the way she is in math, because she doesn't have um, a learning disability. It's really mm-hmm. language based. And also we've got um, ADHD that adds on yeah. to that. But, um, so. You talk about in your article about different tasks uh, such as transcoding, counting, arithmetic, number lines, and and such the like. Can you maybe give us a general overview of of what those math abilities are and then maybe ones that are more related to language?
1: So there's sort of a theory underlying um, the cognitive processes involved in math about um, three different types of representations that we need when we're solving most math problems. Um, so that would include verbal representations. So when I say verbal representations, I mean the words that represent numbers. So for example, the word three. Um, when I say visual representations, this would mean the symbols representing the number. Um, so for example, the written digit three, Um, And then also magnitude representations are sort of your understanding of quantity. So knowing that the word three or the digit three represents a quantity of three objects. Um, And so many math tasks rely on those sorts of representations. So if you're counting aloud, then you would be relying on your verbal representations of number because you're saying the number words. Um, you'd also be repre- or relying on your magnitude representations of number because you're um, sort of figuring out what quantity of objects there are in whatever you're counting. Um, I imagine that you need the magnitude representation in, in order to express the, mm-hmm. the amount that associated with that mm-hmm. amount. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then even just more, um, even sort of like a step lower and easier math task would be um, just naming numbers. And so you could be given a written digit and be asked to name that number aloud. So then you would be going from a visual representation, the digit, to a verbal representation, the um, number name. Mm -hmm. Or you could be given a number name and asked to write down that digit or vice versa. Um, And then we can get a little bit more into... Um, sort of more complex math tasks, like doing um, arithmetic problems. Um, And those are also thought to rely on verbal representations of number because you're sort of, um, especially when you um, have learned the multiplication tables and they've really been drilled into you, you're not so much thinking about the quantity, you just know that like one plus one equals two, um, Mm -hmm. because that Those words and like the sounds of those words have just been like so drilled into you, right? It becomes, Um, yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so then you're, so would it be the same then if you show, let's say, the face of a die and you've got the six dots? Now, would that be going from a magnitude representation? Then you ask the, the child to tell you what the number is that goes with that
1: magnitude representation? Yes, so they would be using their magnitude representation of how many dots that was and then going to either the written digit if you ask them to write it down or going to their verbal representation if you ask them to name how many dots there were.
0: Hmm. So, children, even adults, I guess we're often using all
1: three. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, different types of math tasks rely on different types of representations, um, and a lot of math tasks involve going from one representation to another representation. So okay. for, like we just said, going from the magnitude representation, when you're looking at like the number of dots and moving to a visual representation by writing down the number of dots that there are. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. There's actually a video that is going around on, on Facebook about the French uh, verbal representation to numbers. Okay. Um, it's quite funny because I guess up until I had never really thought about it, but up until number 16, every number has its own verbal representation, just like it's, it's the case in English. Mm-hmm. But then when you get to 17 in English, 17, it's its own word mm-hmm. in French, you use the number 10 mm-hmm. and then seven. So it's like you're using 10, seven, mm-hmm. uh, 18 is 10, eight. Um, and then it, it goes on and on and then, um, you know, when you get up to 80, then 80 is not its own verbal representation. It's actually 420. Um, so anyway, it's a funny little video on the numbers in French. Mm-hmm. If, 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 I'll put that in the show notes if anyone wants to, to listen to it. Yeah, okay. I think
1: that definitely complicates learning. Yeah, it does. And I
0: never really thought about it. Yeah. I guess, like you said, once you learn it, it just becomes its, its own word. But I can imagine a child that is learning these numbers for the first time, you're actually combining a bunch of different words, numbers, mm-hmm. into one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you looked at those three uh, components mm-hmm. um, when it comes to different mathematical abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: what, what are you finding? So um, overall, the studies tended to find that kids with DLD were able to demonstrate that they understood visual symbols for number and also um, representations of quantity really well when there were no number names involved in the task. But when the task was more verbally demanding and required them to um, think about number names or say number names, studies found that kids with DLD struggled. Um, so this included tasks like naming numbers, counting, doing calculations, and also solving word problems. As you can imagine, for a, a child who has trouble using and understanding language, reading a whole word problem um, is quite a challenge in itself. To like kind of understand all of the words and pair them together and remember all of the. Um, numbers and the different pieces of information in the the problem, Um, Mm -hmm. but then also to add on that they're having difficulties with calculations and just the number names themselves, that makes that quite a difficult task.
0: Exactly. So I know that um, my kids often come home with with these story problems. You know, if Lucy has 20 apples and she gives three to her classmates, uh, she ate one, how many apples does Lucy have? You know, so Mm -hmm. that becomes more complex as they need to first understand the math problem and then figure out the equation
1: and then um, Mm -hmm. the numbers that go with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then just in terms of the difficulties, naming numbers and counting and calculating, that's a pretty big problem because those are the building blocks for later math learning. And so if kids with DLD are struggling with those early on, then that's probably going to really impact their sort of long-term outcomes in terms of math education.
0: Is there a simple task that a teacher could give their student to see which of those three
1: domains might be affected? Hmm, Um, Yeah. So one of the um, tasks where, um, where studies have found that they weren't uh, kids with DLD weren't really having trouble um, were magnitude comparison tasks. And so that's where a child is given either two digits, Or two arrays of a different number of dots and they're asked to compare the two and identify which one is larger. So given four and eight, which one is larger or given an array of four dots, an array of eight dots, which one is larger. Um, And so we would expect because those tasks, if the child isn't asked to say anything, they are thought to rely quite heavily on visual representations of number and quantity representations of number, but not so much on that verbal representation of number. Um, Kids with DLD would be expected to do relatively well on those tasks. Um, Whereas you might see them struggling on tasks like counting or um, calculations relative to other kids in your classroom.
0: Okay. And so if you're asking them to count um, out loud how many objects are in a basket and then how many objects are in another basket and then come to the conclusion of which one has the most, then that might be difficult. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Okay, that's very interesting. Um, now, in terms of... Um, I mean, I know your article didn't necessarily talk about how we can work with these children, but is there any any strategies out there that we can maybe start to think about and, and next steps on how we can help these children who struggle with math due to their DLD, to their developmental language disorder?
1: Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, like you sort of alluded to, there's very little research on how to support kids in with DLD in math. There's a lot of, well, not a lot—twenty studies um, showing that they're um, having difficulty. But there are—I only found one in my review where they actually looked at what um, an intervention program might look like for kids with DLD and how to sort of bring up their math skills closer to other kids their age. Um, So in this one study, there was a big focus on support from visuals and manipulatives in math instruction. So um, their group of kids with DLD initially started off doing tasks that involved concrete objects like either tokens or blocks to represent numbers. And then as they moved through the intervention program, they moved towards using um, what they called semi-concrete representations of numbers. So these would be like cards with dots on them. Um, And then they move towards the more abstract representations like digits um, and number words. And so I think definitely incorporating more visuals and manipulatives into math instruction will help support kids with DLD. And that could include things like written words or pictures or diagrams or videos or hands-on activities where they have actual objects that they can do calculations with um, or um, things like that.
0: Well, and I think just being aware of mm-hmm. this, that there might be an underlying language difficulty, which is mm-hmm. the cause for some of these mathematical tasks. I think mm-hmm. just that in and of itself mm-hmm. might might shed some light on, on strategies. Mm-hmm. That, that, I mean, teachers always have a baggage full of different strategies that they can mm-hmm. pull out. So I think if you kind of know that visual cues and visual manipulatives mm-hmm. are helpful, that's definitely
1: something that can be worked on. Mm -hmm. The other challenge I think is like beyond just number names is that a lot of classroom instruction um, involves the teacher talking to the class or um, especially from sort of grades four onwards, the kids reading about something for their learning um, or kids in the classroom talking to one another. Um, And so that makes it hard for a child with DLD also to understand the language that's around them in the classroom and then um, use that knowledge in math. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, in, in the video that I made about science, I outlined a number of strategies that um, might help for teachers for um, sort of supporting kids with DLD with that sort of instruction piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think most of them would apply to math as well. So Things like just introducing and highlighting new vocabulary words and just restating those often throughout um, a particular classroom unit, Um, emphasizing and restating key points of discussions or lessons just to sort of summarize what, um, what the main discussion has been and give kids with DLD sort of a few more opportunities to understand Um, and then one thing I think, um, could be a helpful idea is just to give students a way of signaling that they didn't understand something. Um, so that could be just welcoming questions or having some sort of hand signal with your students so that they can gesture that like, maybe they need something repeated or explained a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also just checking in often to see how kids are understanding. Yeah. I know my daughter's teacher has
0: little cups and she has a red cup. And a green cut cup, and so if you're if you're not following, then you kind of stack the red cup on top of the green cup. And if not, you know, if you're okay, then it's a green light. You're good. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, so little things like that that it doesn't necessarily disrupt the class. Nobody really needs to know. She just quietly puts the red cup on top. Mm-hmm. if she needs additional explanation or help? So that mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And I think, like you said, um, certainly. strategies that you talk about in your video can be applied to many different topics. I think once you understand that if a child has a hard time understanding different, especially abstract words such Mm as uh, the concepts that are used in math and sciences, um, if you can break it down a little bit for them and then give them those visual cues and and repeat it in a different way that might be helpful Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Now this podcast like I was telling you when we had our little pre-interview is is also about just trying to raise awareness around communication and what is communication and what is language and it's a topic that's often very difficult to explain to someone who really doesn't hasn't really put much thought into it so I was curious to know what does communication mean to you?
1: Um, I guess it's just to me, like a way of exchanging information, but also connecting people. And so I find often there's a big focus on making sure that people with communication disorders can communicate their needs. So requesting things like food or help, but it's also really important that people can communicate their wants and their feelings and their ideas beyond just those basic needs. Um, And so sometimes to do that, we need to be a little bit more open and accepting about how people can do that. Speech is one way of communicating, but there's many other ways we can communicate information effectively. We can draw or we can use picture symbols, gestures, our facial expressions communicate a lot, Um, technologies for voice output, all sorts of things like that are ways that we can communicate um, a message effectively
0: yeah that's very interesting because i think like you said it's not just the words that are spoken just to to get our basic needs met it's everything it's our social communication it's our it's our friends it's especially uh, kids young young teenagers adults we mm-hmm. on it on a daily basis i know mm-hmm. I was saying my daughter, she often uses gestures when she can't. It's just automatically. She she can't think of a word. She has pretty significant word-finding difficulties. And the first thing she does is she turns to her gestures. She'll, she'll try to act out what she's trying to say. And, and it's mm-hmm. quite effective. Um, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, you we have to understand that some people have a hard time finding the right words or, or mm-hmm. really gist of the the point that they're trying to make. And they send sometimes mm-hmm. to beat around the bush, so to speak. And Mm so I'd be a little bit more aware of maybe there is an underlying reason for Mm -hmm. difficulties. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we've already talked a little bit about what we can tell teachers and parents and whatnot. Is there any other advice that you might give to professionals or educators around this topic? So language and and math. Mm
1: -hmm. I guess the other thing that I haven't touched on yet is, um, Uh, how you assess learning in the classroom. Um, And so assessments might require writing or talking about something and a child with DLD might be able to show their understanding of that concept better if they can communicate it in a different way. And so that might mean using actions or drawings or diagrams or combining many methods. Maybe they can write about it, but they might need to supplement their writing with drawings um, maybe it would be helpful for the child to have a scribe to help them complete a written assignment or maybe just a little bit more help organizing their ideas before they need to write or talk about them. Um, so just I think being a little bit more flexible in the classroom in terms of how we um, assess learning and recognizing that maybe a child with DLD has an underlying understanding of a concept, but they just don't have the language that they need to be able to show that learning
0: because mm-hmm. a lot of times the way that we assess is by oral language or written language mm-hmm. so if that is the difficulty then <laughs> we're not necessarily assessing the competency we're assessing what they're able to produce mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're not getting the full picture so it's yeah. definitely Tricky. And I, I feel for those teachers who have 25 other kids in the classroom and they might have two or three children with DLD. I mean, you need to take that extra time and sometimes you don't have that extra time. So I do mm-hmm. recognize all of those challenges. And I think that, um, well, I hope that we're at a point in our education system where we're going to see that shift towards. Mm-hmm. More. Um, and I think we already are mm-hmm. seeing that, that shift towards more
1: um like various methods of assessment or mm-hmm. not. I think also with respect to the busy classrooms, um, it's really helpful if we can collaborate. Um, so most schools have SLPs there pretty regularly. So um, teachers and SLPs can collaborate um, in terms of giving the support that um, kids with DLD might need in the classroom. Um, first just to sort of make each other aware of how the child is doing and where they might be struggling but also um, maybe the SLP can come into the classroom and um, help the teacher out with specific strategies that might be helpful in particular units or just in that particular classroom environment Um, or also if they're working with a child outside of the classroom um, they could maybe be incorporating classroom vocabulary on whatever unit um, the class is working on in a particular mm-hmm. subject or just other classroom concepts um, into the speech and language therapy that they're doing with the child, just to kind of increase the exposure to those academic words and um, concepts.
0: Yeah, because, you know, as part of our training as speech language pathologists, we don't have a lot of training on math, well, mm-hmm. we don't, <laughs> you know, or if mm-hmm. any. And so, it, it, would you, what would you say to young speech language pathologists out there or speech language pathologists who are in training mm-hmm. um, after you did your, your research? So what would you, what
1: piece of advice would you give them? I think one big thing is just to be aware of how widespread the impact of a DLD can be, um, on all classroom subjects. But I also think, um, I kind of realized this making the video that I made about science is that a lot of the things we learn about how to support kids with DLD in the classroom can be applied to most topics. Mm -hmm. Um, So things like um, emphasizing and um, restating key vocabulary or key points that can be applied to anything in the classroom um, using um, multiple modalities. So like visuals and manipulatives and things like that. Those are things that we, we learn about in, um, our classes as SLPs, but that can be applied to really anything in the classroom. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, just sort of being flexible about assessments. Um, I think that's something that we need to do as SLPs sometimes when we're assessing a child's speech and language abilities. So I think, um, even though we don't learn about math specifically, we can still apply what we know about um, kids learning in general and speech and language in general um, to other topics in the classroom.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like your answer because it almost um, leads us to believe that it's kind of part of what we do anyway. You mm-hmm. know, whether it's math or geography or, or you know the languages, it's it's learning, like mm-hmm. you said are there to to help the kids who have a difficult time learning mm-hmm. language so um, you need these good solid language foundations to be able to learn other topics so you know we mm-hmm. can just the same things mm-hmm. um, now do you have any favorite resources or, or anything that you've stumbled upon that you'll kind of keep (laughs) or or that you would recommend that other people take a read or take a look at?
1: Um, So I think with respect to DLD, one of my favorite resources is the materials from the Rattled campaign. So Rattled um, stands for raise awareness of developmental language disorder. Um, It's a group of professionals from, pretty much all over the world. Um, And they have a lot of resources for kids and for parents and also for professionals, um, including some really nice videos explaining what DLD is like and also um, videos of kids and adults talking about what it feels like um, to have a DLD. And so I think it's a really good place to start if you want to learn more about DLD and just about other kids or parents or clinicians' experiences
0: yeah exactly and i'll put the link to that website on the Perfect. show notes there's so much information there and they have a facebook page as well that you can follow mm-hmm. or even on twitter mm-hmm. um, so yeah, definitely a great resource mm-hmm. all right so this was only a small part of your phd it sounds mm-hmm. like a, a you know uh a really big portion of it, but it's only for your comprehensive exam. So can mm-hmm. you maybe tell us a little bit more about what you're working on now? I know mm-hmm. you talked you on it a little bit with the MRI and not, but maybe give us mm-hmm. uh, a bit of uh, insight on what we should expect to, to hear from you in the next few years.
1: Um, so the main topic of my dissertation is reading ability and reading disability um, and how it relates to connectivity in the brain. So we're using MRI to look at Um, connections in the brain between areas of the brain that are important for reading. Um, And so we're looking at um, how those like sort of how strong those connections are um, and how that might be might vary in kids with different levels of reading ability. Um, So what we're finding so far is that um, kids with uh, who tend to be struggling readers, um do have sort of reduced connections in some areas of the brain. But also um, we see this interesting finding where kids who are strong readers actually have um, stronger connections in the left hemisphere of the brain, but also weaker connections in the right hemisphere of the brain. Um, wow. So, what that's suggesting is that kids who have reading disabilities might be sort of atypically relying on the right hemisphere of their brain for reading. Whereas kids who are stronger readers have this more efficient kind of pruned down reading network in their brain um, that maybe they've just sort of pruned down with more reading experience and more efficient reading experience. Um, and so what I'm sort of starting to look at now is in kids who are struggling readers, how the connections in the brain might change when they get a reading intervention and when hopefully we see the reading improve. And so whether we start to see those um, atypical right hemisphere connections sort of um, disappear a little bit more and then using a more efficient reading network, like what we see in kids who are um, thriving readers. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. And I assume that you're looking at reading in children who have DLD and those who don't, or is it specific to those children who have DLD?
1: Um, so it's actually specifically with kids who have reading disability um, so, uh, or dyslexia. Um, so they would be kids who can typically um, understand and use language well, um, but really struggle when it comes to language in a written format.
0: Mm-hmm. Which oftentimes we find out that they they may have DLD as well, but it's just kind of manifesting itself mm-hmm. more in written language. Especially yeah, there's
1: a lot of overlap between sort of DLD and reading disability and what we call dyscalculia, so problems with math and then things like ADHD. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of overlap. And so it can be kind of difficult um, when we're assessing these kids and trying to figure out exactly where the problems lie in terms of their classroom learning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I think that's what we're finding out more and more is that a lot of these kids have a lot of overlapping Difficulties, and it's really hard to pinpoint what's causing what. But at the end of the day, we work on what they're struggling with, and we try to give them strategies to, mm. to help with those difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. But we talked a little bit about, you know, what we would say to teachers and advice that we might have for speech and language pathologists. Um, what about parents? I mean, I, I know as a parent, um, it's it's frustrating because sometimes we don't know how to help our child who is struggling in school and we don't know how to support the teacher or what to do. So do you have any, any sound knowledge or advice for them? Or
1: um, I think the most important thing is just awareness um, mm. and particularly um, based on my studies, um, just that a DLD can impact your child's learning anytime learning involves oral or written language Um, and so just being aware of this can help to raise awareness and advocate for your child with all of the other people your child interacts with on a daily basis. Mm Um, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine it can be hard to, um, uh, like try to be your child's speech language pathologist or, um, things like that. So I think the, the biggest thing is just like relying on your support network and being an advocate for your child. By making other people aware of the impact it might have.
0: Yeah, no, and I I completely agree. And as a speech language pathologist, I must say I I am not my child's speech language pathologist because I think that mother and daughter should not really be in a a therapy (laughs) situation. Absolutely. An external speech pathologist who works with her. Um, But yeah, I think that. And my personal experience is it's just every year, you know, in September, have that classroom meeting and, and talk to the teacher. I mean, they are getting to know 25, 30 kids. And so if you can give them a little heads up on some of the strategies that work or don't work with your child, then mm-hmm. um, my experience has been very positive. All the teachers that I've talked to have been more than happy to get, you know, a few little tips here and there on what works for your child, because I think as parents, we know our kids best, mm-hmm. but also know when to let other professionals uh, do their job and, and work on, on strategies that have been proven to be effective as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, keeping that open line of communication, I think, is really important, especially um, like in the classroom, the teacher might find something that you haven't tried before that might work really well for your child. And so um, mm-hmm. making sure that you're um, working as a team, basically, to, to figure out the best way to support that child um, yes, and, and
0: one thing that I'm realizing more and more is that I need to so my daughter is 11 grade six so I need to put the onus on her more now that she's older for her to own it you know yes she has DLD and yes she struggles but with that comes a lot of other strengths mm-hmm. and she needs to be aware of what strategies work for her aware of her difficulties and be her own advocate and I think that um, as as parents as teachers, that's something that we can definitely encourage children to do, and not just always rely on others to make these suggestions or these accommodations for us. I think that that kids, especially you know, grade four, grade five, and up, have a pretty good understanding of their communication and when what's difficult, and I think they can be advocates of their own learning. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a, you know, you've already given us a few take home messages. Is there one that stands out for our listeners?
1: Um, I guess the main one is just to be aware, um, of the impact of DLD and that it extends to all academic subjects. And so Mm. in the classroom, it might look like a child who has a hard time following directions or is doing poorly on tests or isn't participating or doesn't look like they're paying attention. Um, And so it's important just to think about the underlying language abilities and that maybe um, they're not participating because they don't have the language that they need to be able to participate Um, or they're doing poorly on tests because they don't have the language that they need to talk about or write about their learning. Um, And so just being cognizant of that and um, being flexible In assessment methods to make sure that we're giving them the tools that they need to be able to demonstrate that underlying understanding um, even if they have difficulty communicating it with speech or writing.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a really good tip and I think we need to keep in mind that it's sometimes the quiet ones that we have to worry about, the ones that don't participate, the ones that don't raise their hands, the ones that keep to themselves even though they're not disrupting the class, um, they may be the ones who are struggling the most. So I think mm-hmm. that's good to keep in mind that they you know, there might be an underlying cause. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. This was uh, really interesting, and I I know that when I um, had shared your uh, post about your newly uh, or recently published article, I also got a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, it it really makes sense to a lot of people who have a hard time with math. And, you know, we often hear people say, oh, well, language is my strong suit. Math has never been my forte. Or, or you hear the opposite. Oh, I'm good at math, but languages, no, that's not for me. And I think that that's kind of the mentality that most people have. But um, more and more, we're finding that the two are not so uh, mm-hmm. as we, we thought. Mm-hmm. So um, so thanks for, for sharing your research and and all that you've discovered I think it will definitely help a lot of teachers parents uh speech language pathologists um anybody who's working with kids essentially Mm -hmm. educational system I think it will be useful so thank you very much thanks for having me and um I will put um some of the links that you mentioned in the show notes um and hopefully, maybe you'll be a repeat guest once you're finished with your, your current study on reading. Um, it'd be great to hear more about that and the yes, results. That's sounds great. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Parlay podcast. I had so many questions when I first read um, Alex's article, and I'm really happy that she was able to come and talk to us a little bit more about it. It is pretty complicated, but I think that at the end of the day, it is something that we do on a daily basis, and we don't quite think to break it down the way Alex did, and that really helps us understand the link between language and math. And if we can better understand things and then you know help children who are struggling to learn math in school then um we're that much more ahead so thanks again hopefully you'll tune in to the next episode of the parley podcast so following a little poll on instagram um you guys told me that you wanted some bloopers so here are some bloopers to take into take into geez well to cut that out (laughs) take into Mm -hmm. consideration um 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 yeah, i I was just gonna ask you to move your hair because I can oh, hear sorry. it in the mic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll just tie it back. <laughs> um, i tried to figure out what that noise was. It almost sounded like a bracelet and then I'm like, no.
1: <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I have my um uh, my headphones on. Right. So it yeah. was rubbing on your little mic. Okay, perfect. That's better. <laughs> Thanks. Um